This is a strange title, I, I, I granted, for a sermon series. It's called Heretic, and if you want some context, you can watch last week's. That might be helpful for you. But we're talking about how our beliefs change over time, and you know what the church historically has done with people who believe things that aren't maybe normal or orthodox. You know what they've done with heretics in the past, so we're hoping to maybe change that up a bit. Um, and and that we, we promise no, no capital punishment is what I'm saying. So... So we, we would love for you to maybe dig into last week's and watch it. This is a few weeks that we'll be in this series. We want to give you some breathing room as your faith goes through shifts and changes over time. In fact, we asked this question last week. This is how we started. What is something that has shifted in your beliefs over the years? And I, and I bet most of you could answer this pretty quickly or pretty easily. And I hope that if you were here last week or watching online, that you had a discussion with some people about this question, that maybe it came up at lunch or you asked somebody else, yeah, at church, we were talking about this, and so I wonder what is the case for you, and maybe in the middle of the week you thought some things as well that are connected to this idea that you could add to the list, and we asked you to talk about it in this room with each other which is a bit of a risky thing, because I bet there are some things that you have shifted in terms of your beliefs in regards to faith over the years that maybe you weren't sure if it was a good idea or not to mention it in a place like this, where you don't know what different people believe or why they believe it. And so maybe you, you have a few things, and you pulled out one of the safe ones, and maybe it's a small thing. In the conversations that I've had with many of you over the years and over the last few weeks thinking about this series, I would say this, that it, most of us have at least one or two things. Some of us have a lot of things that have shifted over the years. And for some of us, some of these things are small, little things like, I don't know, uh, one of you said, you know, when I was growing up, I thought that Christians didn't drink alcohol at all, and every now and then now I have a, a drink or two, or six, or whatever. And... <laughs> Depends on the day, right? And so uh, this, this is a shift in belief, right? I thought this sort of moral code was important to faith, and now I've, I've kind of put that in a, I don't think it matters much category. Some of you talked about big chunks of theology that you've changed your mind on. If you grew up understanding what Reformed theology is, there's a few of you in our church that have shifted away from Calvinism or predestination reform theology to something that's a little more open or different. And those things, those shifts are really big deals. Now, so we talked about the, the what, what is the shift. I, I hope that in your discussions with people that you know that are followers of Jesus or have some sort of faith, I hope you have the chat about the what, but I hope more than that you have the discussion about the why why those things have shifted. That's so much more important that you get there. And usually the why is because well, this happened in my life or I met somebody or I, I, I read some articles about something. I wanted to dig deeper into what I believe. And so the what and the why are important. But we started with this question. We want to take a different approach this week. In fact, maybe just the exact opposite approach instead of talking about shifts. This is a question I want you to ponder for the next little bit of time. What is the belief about faith that you hold with certainty? You, you just, you, you just, it's never, never changed. Yet, anyway, we're not saying that everything is the same forever, but if there is a belief that you hold with certainty, it's something that you think, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty sure of this one, I'm, I think I can 
you know, I don't know, wouldn't chisel it in stone, but I, I think I could take it as this is just probably going to be that way for me. It hasn't shifted yet. This is the opposite of where we started last week. So just for a moment, ponder this question. I bet already for some of you, some ideas have come to mind. I'll even ask you to share a couple with me here in a few minutes. But what is a belief about faith that you hold with certainty? Now, while you ponder that, I want to remind you, last week I said this. For some reason, we think faith begins with a correct set of beliefs. And I argued, maybe right, maybe wrong, I don't know. But my idea was, I don't think this is true. I don't think this is true at all. I think we think it is. We think that when somebody starts out in faith, they really have to have sort of a correct set of beliefs. And that might be these three things or these two things. For most of us, it's more like these 10 things. And we believe that faith begins then, but I don't really think that is accurate. And when we think that, that faith begins with a correct set of beliefs, when we believe that about other people in their journey, or even about us in our journey, when faith begins to shift or change, or we begin to question some of the things that we've always believed, that we have set ourselves up for a crisis of faith. And this can be a problem. Because when we have that crisis of faith, when, when we have a, a house of cards, if you will, and we pull one out, or if we have a garment and we have a loose thread and we pull one and all the other threads begin to fall, or <clears throat> when we find a crack in the foundation and we're not sure what to do with that, we begin to inspect all the other things around the foundation and begin to wonder, well, is this true? I mean, if this thing isn't, if I was wrong about this, what else am I wrong about? And if we have this impression that faith begins with the correct set of beliefs, whatever that set of beliefs is, when our faith shifts, and it will, eventually, then we find ourselves feeling unsettled, and we don't know what to do about that. And it could be that somebody we know is changing something they believe, and we don't feel like we can go there with them, or maybe our own doubts or what have you. We feel like we're in uncharted territory and even if that's not you, it probably will be your kids. And if it's not your kids, it'll be your grandkids. Or maybe it'll be a friend. And if you feel unsettled about their faith or your own faith, then you'll find yourself moving into a place where faith becomes something that you just either white-knuckle it through or you decide the baby goes out with the bathwater and you find yourself in a place where your faith isn't very resilient. You see, we have this impression that a resilient faith is one that you are sure of, have all sewn up, and have locked and loaded, and that you have in a box and nobody can touch it. That's not a resilient faith. A resilient faith is one that moves with your understanding of who God is and Jesus is, and you would say, well, that doesn't sound like it's the same thing all the time, always, forever. And I would say to you, exactly right. Jesus said, that he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Your understanding, however, it's going to change. Your maturity, it's going to shift. Your enlightenment, your depth, your maturity, your convictions, they are going to shift over time. Hopefully more towards truth and rightness. But at times we find ourselves moving in places to try some things on. And so even though we think this, at least the beginning of this series is about the fact that this 
kind of puts us in a place with a faith that isn't resilient and it's not even growing. And so when your faith shifts and you begin to think in your own mind, your own heart, you know, I'm not sure I believe that, whatever that is, anymore. You fill in the blank. I'm not sure about that anymore. Then we find ourselves in uncharted territory. Now, think back to when your faith began. Think back to when your faith began. And if you do, if you do think back to when your faith began, then you'll know that this statement's pretty true. You you didn't start with a correct set of beliefs at all. Uh, In fact, some of you were born into faith. How many of you can't remember when you figured out faith was a thing because you heard more sermons by the time you were out of the nursery than most of us have heard? How many of you were born into faith? Let me see your hands. Okay. And so your decision about faith wasn't even made for you, was it? I mean, eventually you made your own. But it was a little, the deck was stacked against you, wasn't it? I mean, you were taught it from the moment you could understand any words at all. You were around church, church people, Bible things. And so moving into faith felt as natural as breathing to you. For some of you who came to faith later in life, it didn't happen because you had a correct set of beliefs, for goodness sakes. It happened because of a relationship or an experience that you had. Or it happened because you had this feeling that you were being drawn to something else. Talk to somebody who came to their faith in their 40s, and they'll tell you that they went through a crisis of identity that didn't have anything to do with a correct set of beliefs. It had everything to do with God working and moving and almost conspiring in their life to create circumstances where they had no place else to look but God. And it didn't happen because they had a correct set of beliefs. In fact, Most of the time, if you're not born into faith, your faith begins because you know maybe one or two things. Maybe this is as basic as it gets. I'm pretty sure there's a God. I'm pretty sure. I'm not even 100% sure of that. I'm pretty sure. And the other thing I'm becoming more sure of, I'm not her. (laughs) Do what you want with that. This isn't me. This is what somebody else thinks, okay? And this is where people start. And so back to our question, okay? Back to our question. What is a belief about faith that you hold with certainty? Now, I'll repeat what you say for the online folks so they can catch it because they can't hear you. But you'll have to speak up and, and speak out loud and clear. When I said this, what came to mind, or maybe you've been pondering ever since, what is a belief about faith that you hold with certainty. Let me hear from you. God is what? God is who he says he is. Yep. God will never leave me. Give me an, over here, somebody. Yep. What's that? It's just, it's essential. Very good. Vince? Jesus Christ is God's son. What about over here, Somebody? You got no faith? What's, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> yep. Very good. Very, pretty close to what we just showed, right? Yeah, yeah. Very good. Jesus died for my sins. Jesus died for my sins. God's plan will come to fruition. I am in Christ and he is in me. 
It's my man, Dave Ells, who turned 80 yesterday. Give Dave a hand, would you? Yeah. And Dave has his son with him here from Texas who makes Dave look like a mini me compared to his son who's six foot five or something like that. Jesus is real. Jesus is real. God is love. God is love. See, now y'all getting warmed up. You know, like, might have church. Okay, so you could list these things and they're things that you believe with certainty. And even if your faith has shifted over time, you think, you know what, this is something I thought I can take to the bank. I'm pretty sure of this. It hasn't shifted yet. It's steady and it remains. This is the question that the early church had to wrestle with. We said last week that if you've gone through a shift in your faith, that you're not alone and that there is a, there's a roadmap, if you will, in Scripture that will help you navigate those shifts in your faith. And those shifts can be unsettling. They can lead you in uncharted places. You're not even sure what to do. Some of you have felt the shift happening and you've boxed it up and put it away and said, I can't even look at that because I'm afraid of what will happen in my life. God is drawing you into the great mystery of his love, and he wants you not to doubt. That's not the deal. He doesn't want you to set aside the things that you believe are true and convictions that you want to hold, but he does want you to be in a relationship with him. In a relationship with him, any relationship that you're in, let alone God's, cannot be boxed up and quantified and codified. It has to be living and breathing and growing and changing and true. And so God has invited you into that. And the scriptures are filled with stories of men and women who have gone through shifts and changes in their faith over and over and over again. And one of the largest happens when the church began. And when the church began, there was no church. There were synagogues and there were gatherings of Jewish believers and there were other religions and there were temples of gods and goddesses and all kinds of pagan places but the church as we know it, the church of Jesus, it didn't exist. But when it was born, one of the biggest shifts happened in creating an understanding of, well, what do we believe is certain? What do we think is the core of our belief and faith? The whole story is in Scripture for us. And it will help you know how to navigate some of these shifts in faith. And so for the next several weeks, we'll unpack that story. So when the story of the church begins, the doctor, the historian, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, you know, the New Testament begins with four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and what? Good. Bless this bed that I sleep on. You know the story, right? And then following the Gospels is the story of the first church. It's like part two of Luke's Gospel, and it's called the book of what? The book of Acts. And after some beginning stuff in the book of Acts, chapter 2 starts this way. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. These were the followers of Jesus. So these were the disciples. Some of the women were there. Other disciples were there. The ones that you know, the names, Peter, James, and John, the whole crew, they were there. Um, they were all meeting in one place. And they're there because Jesus said to them, look, I want you to wait in the city. Don't go, don't go back to your places where you lived and don't go home. I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. And so this, of course, is the story of how the church began. The day of Pentecost 
is a Jewish festival and feast. We think of it as the beginning of the church. That's because of how we have appropriated it for our understanding in the Christian world. But in the Jewish world, it was one of the travel feasts or the pilgrimage feasts. Three of the main feasts of the Jewish calendar year, anyone that could, anyone that had the means, anyone that could possibly get there, made their way to Jerusalem for some time before, during, and after. The Feast of Pentecost was all about the early harvest that happened 50 days, Penta, 50 days after Passover, and they celebrated the first fruits of the early harvest and gave God thanks. And so this occasion happens 50 days after the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. The disciples are scared. They don't know what's happening. Rome's in charge. Jesus is gone. He came back. Nobody knows what's happening next. And they were all there in one place. Chapter two tells this story of everything that happened as the church began. And as the church began, it happened on this day. And when it does, Luke tells us this, that at that time there were what? Say it with me. Devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. So to understand this context, you need to know this, that when the early church began, it was almost exclusively, almost completely, 100% Jewish. Everybody that was in the church was Jewish. On this day, there were many converts to believing in Jesus. They were almost all Jewish. And if they weren't Jewish, they were converts to Judaism. They were what we would call, and what they call in scripture, God-fearers. Be a Gentile, a non-Jew, that's me, who begins to follow the laws and the rituals and the custom of Jewish life. And Luke, who's writing this, he's a Gentile. He is not a Jew, which gives us some indication of where this thing is headed. And the book of Acts gives us an incredible amount of detail about this shift. In fact, Luke goes on to say he wants to be very clear about this. So there were devout Jews, and they were from every nation. So they had come from all over the place. In fact, he lists the places there in Acts chapter 2. But then he goes on to say this, both Jews and what? Converts to Judaism. And so at the beginning, the church was almost certainly all Jewish. And this includes people who were Jewish by heritage and by lineage and people who had converted to Judaism. And they had adapted, adopted the entire Jewish lifestyle, theirs to the Jewish lifestyle, which is why they're in Pentecost. This is part of God's plan, that people from all over that part of the world and various places... Gentile heritage, but converts to Judaism and Jews would be in one place. And so it'd be Jews and Gentiles who became Jews. And so Peter gets up and he begins to preach a sermon on the day of Pentecost. And his sermon's really pretty simple. Jesus was God's son. Y'all said it earlier. And not only was he God's son, but you and some pretty rotten Gentiles put him to death. And he died, but God brought him back to life, and we have seen him. That was his sermon. You can read it. It's a little more detailed than that, and it's quite a bit more poetic than that. But those were the the key points that Peter wants everyone to know. Jesus was God's son. We saw him. We were with him. You put him to death. 
but God raised them back to life. And we are witnesses to this. And they looked at Peter and they said, what should we do? What should we do? And Peter said this, immerse yourselves in Jesus and turn to God. And they did. And then Peter says this, and this promise, once you immerse yourselves in Jesus and turn to God, this promise is to you and to your children and to those who are far away. And some people would have translated this phrase in the Greek and to even those who are Gentile. They don't live here. They're not Jewish. And so Peter forecasts this, this truth. And this truth is why you're in this building and why you're watching online and why your parents and your grandparents know something about who Jesus is. That it goes beyond the Jewish world and the Jewish lifestyle and the Jewish understanding of who God is. It goes to people like me and people like you. It's why you know who Jesus is. In fact, the only reason you have faith is because the faith that originated with the people who were first called a holy nation by God, the nation of Israel, went through such an unbelievable, incomprehensible shift and transition that we get invited in because you're here. In fact, shifts in faith, changes in what we believe is so common that we can date it all the way back to the scriptures that we read today, thousands of years removed. And so if you're going through a shift in faith, understand this, God is with you in it. He was with them too. In fact, the truth that we'll hold on to is that he will never leave us, no matter what. And so the very first few chapters make this very clear in the book of Acts. Lots of Jews come to know who Jesus is as God's son. And then things begin to happen. A man from Ethiopia gets saved. There is a, a general in the Roman army who hears from God in a very unique way. And all of a sudden, this Jewish community becomes a little bit Gentile. And they don't know what to do. Because everybody who understood God had become Jewish before they became a follower of Jesus. But now that's beginning to shift. I mean, it works when you have one or two, but what happens when you have 10 or 12 and people coming from all kinds of places and they don't think like I think and they don't have the history that I have and they don't know the Old Testament like I do and they are different than we are. They believe differently than we do. Can God accept them as they are? And the book of Acts chronicles this whole story. So I'm going to give you a highlight. And over the next few weeks, we're going to go back and pick it apart. Because the very same, that's the very same thing that happened then is happening now. The same shifts that they went through, we're going through. They just have different names. And if you go from Acts 2 all the way to Acts 15, it says this. Paul and Barnabas, two early church leaders, they were in Antioch, city not far from Jerusalem of Syria. Some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, the followers of Jesus, this truth. Don't miss it. Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, what does it say? You cannot be 
And so their list of things that they were certain of, whatever was on it, it included this little truth. In other words, if you want to follow Jesus, first you have to become what? Jewish. You have to become Jewish. God has called the Jewish people, and the gateway to understanding God is Jewish. And there's a good chance, if you're thinking with me, that the church you were a part of had their own requirement. It probably wasn't circumcision, I'm guessing, or it would have been a very small church. (laughs) But it was something else. That unless you, I don't know, fill in the blank, right? Unless you speak in tongues, unless you knock off that thing you're doing that we don't do, unless you start doing that thing that we do that you don't know how to do, whatever's on the list, unless you are circumcised, as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. And this, of course, was just the beginning. This one requirement was one they could point to. It's one they could, uh, you know, I don't know how they verify that in the new members course, but it's, it's, it's the thing that they could say, this is how we know you have come in line with what it means to be a follower of Jesus and Jewish. But it's just the beginning. It's the entire law of Moses that they had to obey. All of the things were requirements. And when they began to lay this down, the church found themselves in crisis. If you want to follow Jesus, here's what's required. Here's who you must be, and here's what it must look like. Now, the church, of course, is now in a full-blown identity question mark. And they're going to wrestle with this. And how they wrestle with it will help us understand how to go through and deal with our crises of faith. Whether you're having one now, somebody you know is going through it, whether they have questions about things they believe and it makes you nervous to even enter into that conversation or you've boxed up some things and you don't want to think about it anymore. And while all this can feel like a little bit of sort of inside baseball, if you will, it's not in any way. In fact, this is what we started with last week. Jesus said this. We use John chapter 6 to give us a framework for the whole series. Say it with me. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And we said this, that very rarely do we connect work and belief. We think belief is something that is handed to you and you take it and you say, that's great. I like these set of beliefs. I'll take, I'll take them. I'll make them mine. And they're yours and they were somebody else's, your parents, your grandparents, or a friend's or a mentor and you just adopt them and make them your own. And that's not how it works because Jesus connects belief to work. He says work is this. It is, is to toil with effort. It is an entire occupation. It's an industrious undertaking. This is what belief is. It is work. And you already know this to be true. When Jesus says believe, he isn't just mean that you you nod at the front of the church and say, you know, I agree. Belief is when you put your weight down on something that you believe is sturdy enough to hold you and your life. That's what it means. The Greek word pisteo, it means that you trust that you look at God, who he is, and what he's promised, and you trust him. You can 
allow the weight of your life to rest on his identity, his promises, and what he said he would do. That's what believe means. And that, my friends, is hard work. Because when life happens and you begin to wrestle with this truth, is God good? Does he know me? Does he love me? Is he for me? Is he gonna get me through this? What are you doing? While you are doing the work of belief, when you begin to doubt because of something that happened to you and you feel invisible to God or that he hasn't gotten you through what you feel like is some of the most difficult seasons of your life and you come out on the other side a little battered, a little torn up, a little hurt, a little betrayed, what are you doing? Well, you're doing the work of belief. When you hold the faith that was given to you by the people that came before you and you begin to take it apart a bit, tentatively, it's a little scary. What are you doing? Well, you're doing the work of belief. And we do this together. We engage in it together. It's why we ask questions. What, what's shifted in your belief? And we want this to be a safe place where you can say out loud to somebody, you know what, I used to think this, but not anymore. And nobody looks at you and says, well, I mean, I hope you find a, another church soon because this isn't going to work for you. No. This is where you and I can engage in our journey of faith. We can do the work of belief together and know that we're arm in arm. We'll get through it. And God will allow us maybe to wander a bit and bring us back home because we trust him. And so as you go through those shifts, that's the question. Do you trust? Do you believe you can put your weight down on the things that God has said about you, who you are, and what he's doing in this world? Let me guide you through a prayer, and then our worship team's gonna help us uh, with some lyrics that will sew this up for us. Lord, we see this story in the New Testament, and there are issues there that we don't deal with today. The specifics... That's not our thing. But we do deal with the questions of belief and trust. And we do deal with the shifts in our faith that happen on a daily basis. And every day we wrestle with this question. Do we believe that you are who you say you are? Do we believe that you, Lord, are good and that you love us? And that you will be with us and that you will never leave us. Do we believe that your forgiveness can extend even to the depths of a heart like mine? And so Lord, as we walk through uh, this world, as we engage in the work that you have given us to do this week, as we take part in relationships that are challenging and beautiful, deep and shallow all in various places of connection being known and knowing others we pray that we would know that we carry your image with us wherever we go this week and we declare today as a church body here in this place and dispersed online many people in various places we declare today that you are good and that we can trust you. That we can build our lives on this foundation of who you are. And we pray that as we do so, 
that your presence would be felt that we would take you with us and help us as our faith goes through changes and shifts but help us to do the work that's required to believe and trust put our weight down on you so Lord now as a church body we declare that you are good in the name of Jesus we all say this together Amen.